Hey, thanks for coming this morning. I am uh, going to do something today that's super dangerous. Um, I'm actually going to share a piece of um, my wife and I's life that uh, we are processing in real time. And um, we are not all the way through it yet. And I think, um, I think it will be helpful as, as we talk about this, because I feel like we all find ourselves in this space. And so um, what I am doing is I'm opening myself up to the um, potential of being Romans 8, 28 um, Don't. I will throat punch you. Like, <laughs> don't. Um, uh, here's, here's what I don't need. Um, I, I don't need for you to... Tell me what you think God's perspective is on it. I don't need you to give me a verse of scripture. I don't need any of that. Um, I promise you I've got a lot of that in my life right now. Um, I love a hug. If you want to come up and give me a hug, I'm 100% for it. Um, but that's it. That's it. Um, and I, I say that because with the best of intentions, what happens is when, when somebody shares something, it makes us feel uncomfortable, then our desire is to make ourselves actually feel comfortable. And we, the way that we do that is we try to solve it for them. Um, but it's not helpful. One of the things that's interesting about the human brain is that it's not looking for solutions, it's looking for validation. And so what we want is people to join us in our experience, not fix it for us. Um, and so I, I just want to share that. I want to preface that because um, what I'm going to talk about this morning is still very, 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 very painful. Um, and we are not at the end of it. Uh, what I want to wrestle with this morning, so we've, we're in this series called Return. And um, last couple of weeks we've been talking about generosity. And so the desire of this series, Return, is to get back to the basics. What is the basics of Christianity? fundamentally it's generosity, prayer, and worship. And so we spent two weeks on generosity. We're going to spend three weeks on prayer and then we're going to spend three weeks on worship. And that's kind of where we're headed with this series, but we're going to talk into prayer. And, and I write my sermons, you guys know this, several weeks in advance. And, and so as I was coming into this, um, these sermons on prayer, I, I, I was like, gosh, I don't want to talk to God right now. Um, and, I, and I know that for some of you, you know exactly what that feels like. like. I don't believe God's not real, but I don't want to talk to him right now. And you'll understand why as I get into the story. Um, and so now I got to talk about prayer and I don't know what to say. And so it, uh, one of our staff members um, was processing this with me. She's very kind and gracious. And, and as we were sharing, she's like, man, maybe that's your sermon. And it was like, you know, Holy Spirit was like, yeah, that's, people will connect to that. And I was like, okay. What, what do we do when God's not, feels like God's not there? What do we do when it feels like God didn't show up, when it feels like God abandoned us? What do we do in that space? I want to begin with Psalm 13, because I'm always going to begin with the word over my experience. The word is more important than my experience. There's only six verses in, in Psalm 13. I'm going to read the first four now. We'll come to the last two at the end. Okay? Here's what it says. <clears throat> How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How many of you have already like, yep, I know exactly what that feels like. 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. How, how long, God, are, are you going to stay away? I, I need to share a story with you. Um, and then my goal is to get through the story and then spend a little bit of extra time, not a ton of time, but more than normal in our implications this morning. Uh, the end of November, right around Thanksgiving time, um, my nephew, uh, his name is Zach. It's my brother's son. He got uh, flu A. And his wife, Miranda, also got flu A because they're newlyweds. Ain't no sickness keep them apart. <laughs> At this point in our marriage, when my wife gets sick, I move into the other end of the house. Like I'm like, let me know when you're better because I love you, but I ain't going to get sick for you. <laughs> but they still like being together. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. That was a joke. I love hanging out with my wife. She's fantastic. Just not when she's sick. Well, one of the things that we learn in this process is that one of the side effects uh, that can happen with flu A is sepsis. And we didn't know that. Um, but on December 1st, they had to call an ambulance to take her to the emergency room where she immediately went into ICU and went on life support. They're 25. Brand new newlyweds, right? Brand new. Um, upon her arrival there, we all started praying. Of course we did. We started praying as a family. What was interesting about it was at the time, um, we, we had a number of people literally around the world that uh, reached out that were like, hey, we feel drawn to pray for Miranda. And, and, and this has been, that's not uncommon at the flashpoint of something, right? At the beginning of things, the, it's very common for people, oh, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray. And then after a couple of weeks or a month or blah, 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 you know, then people um, kind of get back into their routine. They kind of go back to the life. And of course, of course they do. What's been weird about this whole process, and this is going to play into my story, is it feels as if God has drawn people's hearts to this journey um, all along the way in a really kind of profound, even in our own church, our prayer team uh, has come to me like we're, we're compelled to pray for her. Like we feel drawn to pray for her. Um, and, and so uh, I'm like, man, God, why are, why are you drawing all these people to pray for her? Why is that? Upon they, arriving at, in ICU, they started doing blood work and all this stuff. They found that she also had uh, MRSA in her system. 
I don't know if you guys know this, but sepsis is bad and MRSA is bad. Both of those are lethal. Those two things together, really bad. And then they started to watch her white blood cell count spike. And they weren't quite sure what the source of that was, but it was spiking really, really high, um, like up into the 50s and 60s, which is really high. Um, it should be down around like 10. It was spiking really high, which is, means there's an infection somewhere. Okay, so there's an infection somewhere. They don't, they can't quite pinpoint it, um, but they they start trying to figure out. They're like, we got to get at the bottom of this uh, infection. And what's happening is, in the meantime, she's on full life support. So she's on an ECMO machine. Which, if you don't know what that is, an ECMO machine basically they take a tube and they put it in your carotid artery, and it draws all the blood out of your body and artificially oxygenates it, and then puts it back into your body. And she was on a ventilator. She's on complete life support. She's completely sedated. Um, and she's like, if they, if they hit the switch, she's done. She's gone. There's no, no chance of her living outside of being on these machines. They, they found the source of the infection that was causing her white blood cell count to spike in her lungs. And they found out that it was necrotizing pneumonia. Now, I know that for many of you, you're like, I never even heard of necrotizing pneumonia. I hadn't up until this process. Here's the thing about necrotizing pneumonia. You never want anything with necro at the beginning of it. That's bad. That's Latin for dead. Necrotizing pneumonia, where pneumonia typically fills your lungs with fluid, necrotizing pneumonia attacks the tissue and dissolves the tissue of your lungs. So it's not like you can pump it out and be better. The damage that it does is the damage that it does. And hopefully you can get rid of it fast enough that it doesn't do damage beyond your ability to sustain life. Turns out it's also resistant to antibiotics just to make it easier. So they immediately started talking lung transplant. Well, here's the kicker. She has Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune issue, which means she's ineligible for a lung transplant. And so we're sitting in this space where we're watching uh, this poor girl just get bombarded with stuff. And we're praying. And she's like, it's, it's like a little bit better, worse, a little bit better, worse, a little bit. And, and so it's just, it's like, if this is the, the line, right? It's just like this, like, there's no, there's no progress. It just, she's just, she just, they're keeping her alive until they can figure out how to get her alive. And we're watching this unfold um, and praying and praying and praying and all these people praying, all these people praying. To make matters even more complicated for her, um, she's on a myriad of medications that they're trying to use to regulate everything from blood. And I'll spare you the gory details. When she, a few years ago, she had a really traumatic event happen in a hospital and it was legit 
like it was a big deal. And so she has tons of um, anxiety and stress around being in the hospital, PTSD stuff. Like it's, and it's real, like legitimate. It's not trumped up. It's real. And um, so they're keeping her completely sedated, but she's a redhead. And I don't know if you guys know this, but redheads have a unique tolerance to medication, like the real ones, not the ones that, you know, came out of the salon redhead, an actual redhead. Um, so if you're wondering whether or not her hair color is real, ask her how she is on pain meds. Um, but they, they have this extra tolerance. My, my wife is a redhead, so, so we, we understand this game a little bit. But the thing is, they couldn't keep her sedated. So every time she would wake up, she'd start to wake up and she's got a ventilator. She's got a tube down her throat and she's panicking because she doesn't know what's going on. And, and so they're really trying to dance with the medication. She had this massive allergic reaction to some of the medication. They couldn't figure out what it was. So she had this rash all over her body. And the feeding that they were giving her, the nutrition, which is all a bit of a guessing game, right? Like it's, it, the doctors aren't like, these are horrible doctors. They're, it's all a guessing game. They're trying to figure this out, but it was, it's flared her Crohn's. And so now she's got just tremendous nausea and, and, she, and, and, any time, and she's itchy and we've got this rash. Head, I mean, it's awful. It's awful what's going on with her. And we're praying and praying and praying. December 17th, which was a Thursday, and uh, it was 10 days before, not 10 days, how many days is that before the 24th? What's the math? Seven days. It's a week. (laughs) No, it's not. What is it? Okay. My degree's in theology. The Thursday before the week of Christmas, leading into Christmas, and I don't know if you guys know this, but Christmas Eve services are a big deal here. Like, they're a big deal here. Biggest services of the year for us. Um, there, There are people, lots of people, who come to me and they're like, hey, the Lord said something to me that I wanted to share with you that I, I think it was for you. And I love that. That's all great. I have no problem with that, you know. But there, there are a couple of people, two people specifically, that for my wife and I, they have the ear of God on our behalf. And I don't know exactly why that is, but um, these two people, if they came to me and said the Lord said it was going to rain, I would start building an ark. That's just who they are in my life. And I love that. They're, and they diligently pray for my wife and I. They diligently and faithfully pray for my wife and I. Thursday, that Thursday, um, one of them came to me in the morning and said, hey, um, it's been like a week or a week and a half and, and I, can't, I can't shake this. Um, like I didn't want to have to say this to you, but... Um, I feel like the Lord won't let it go and I need to say something. Uh, she said, I feel like the Lord wants you to go to Coeur d'Alene, where they are in Idaho, uh, and, and be with your brother and pray over your niece. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. Like on so many levels, that's a terrible idea. I don't have time to be gone right now. Like this is the busiest time of the year. for. Like I don't have time to be gone. I don't have time to miss that. My wife and I are heavily involved in Christmas Eve services, both of us. Plus, I don't know if you know this, but 
Christmas time short-term plane tickets are not inexpensive. Like, I don't have that kind of money. We just spent all our money on Christmas presents because we weren't planning on traveling all of a sudden, right? Like, we don't have the, we don't have the time. We don't have, like, this is a, that's a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. Um, and so we kind of just, I, I just dismissed it. I was like, we can't. And plus, wrestling, I love my boys. I can't miss wrestling. What would they do without me? They need me. (laughs) The other four coaches play no role in their life, only me. (laughs) So day goes on, I go to wrestling practice, come home, about seven o'clock, I'm sitting in the living room, my wife and I are watching TV, and I get a text from the other person. And here's what it says. For about a week or a week and a half, the Lord has had this on my heart and I can't shake it. And I didn't want to tell you. Like, it's almost verbatim. Like, it's, it's creepy. Like, I didn't want to tell you, but I think you should go. The Lord wants you to go be with your brother and pray over Miranda. So the two people that I respect their ability to hear from the Lord on my behalf most, both in the same day came and said exactly the same thing. And I was like, babe, I got to share something with you. So I share it with her and she has far more faith than I do. She's like, okay, we need to go. And I'm like, what? How do we, how do we even pull that off? Like, that's impossible. How do we pull that off? So the next morning, that Friday morning, um, I'm with the Lord and he, without question, confirms in my own heart, like we have to go. We have to go and not just go, but not just to be there, but we need to pray over Miranda. We need to pray over her. And I was like, why? Why do I need to pray for? And all of these people are praying. And these two people that I trust most to hear from the Lord on my family's behalf, both came in. God is up to, what is he going to do? And God confirmed two scriptures for me uh, that he gave me uh, in this process. One was Habakkuk 1.5. Look at the nations and be amazed for I'm going to do something in your day that even if you were told, you wouldn't believe it. It's like, really? The other one was Exodus chapter 12, verses 13 to 15, where he says to Moses, they're on the shore of the Red Sea, and, and the Egyptian army's coming, and he says, be still, stand firm, watch, and be amazed. The Lord will fight for you. Move forward. What's God going to do? What, what is God going to do? So we bought plane tickets that we didn't have money for. And uh, on, and listen, I got a lot of counsel around this topic before we, like we, Proverbs says, if you want to be wise, you walk with the wise, right? And so for me, I, I got, I had a lot of people speaking into this um, and we were listening. And so that Sunday I preached and then Sunday afternoon um, we flew, landed in the Spokane airport at 1230 at night, exhausted, um, Monday morning, we get up early and I spend time with the Lord and the Lord put two worship songs in my heart that I just couldn't shake. One was, same God. You were a healer then. Yeah. 
You're a healer now. I was like, what? God, what? The other one was, uh, uh, we need a miracle. I was like, yeah, we do. Like, and so these worship songs rolled in my time with the Lord. So Monday morning, we go to the hospital and um, we're there. We say hi to the family. And, and I look at my nephew, Zach, and I said, Zach, are you ready to go back? He said, yeah, I said, I just want to pray with her. So we go back. She's all in the machine. She's completely sedated. She's out. One of the things that had been shared with me in, in preparation of this is, listen, when you step into that space, you don't have to come up with words. Just pray whatever the Lord puts on your heart. And I was like, okay. So I sat there and waited on God and, and I prayed what I believed the Lord put on my heart. And we left and she immediately took a really bad downturn. And I was like, did I, did I do it wrong? Like what? Like this is a big thing for, because I don't have a history with praying over people and having miracles happen. I just try and like everything in this whole scenario has, and, and it's one of those moments where I don't question whether or not God said something or whether or not I heard it correctly. I know what God said. I just, and that's, I've had a lot of people like, did you hear God? Right. Yes. I just don't know how that leads to this. She's really bad downturn. We're like, what? What is going on? So Tuesday, we were there. Um, and by the way, Monday, December 19th, the reason why that matters is because that's our anniversary. And so we spent our anniversary in the hospital with my brother and his family. And Tuesday, uh, I got my, my brother teaches Bible at a Christian high school and I got to um, teach his classes for a day. I was like, hey, just to give you one less thing to think about, um, can I just teach your classes for a day? He was like, man, that'd be great. So I got to be a guest speaker in his Bible classes, which was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, then after that was over, we we're, we're going to fly back Wednesday. And so this is our last day there. So after school's over, we go back to the hospital and we're there. And I, I just felt like I should go and pray for her again. So I was like, hey, Zach, can, I, can, I, can we go back and pray for Miranda one more time? And he was like, yeah, we can do that. So we go back. She was alert, like kind of alert. She was groggy and still really on a lot of drugs, but she was, so she recognized who I was. Um, they had, in the process of this, um, because she'd been there such a long time, it turns out that your body's not wired to have a tube down your throat for a long period of time. So they, took, they went ahead and took the ventilator out and put a trach in. So she had the trach in. Um, so I got to see her and she was alert and, and I waved at her and she waved at me and I went over and I put my hand on her, on her arm and I, and she, by the way, she's the one that did my tattoo on my finger and anybody that writes my wife's name on my body is pretty important to me. Um, and, and so I, I said, Miranda, you, you have to get better because, um, I have more tattoos that I want to get. I said, here's the deal. I can't pay you for them, but um, 
what I thought was if you put a tattoo on me, then I would put a tattoo on you and that would be a good trade. I can't even draw a straight line. Like, I'm a terrible artist. I'm a terrible artist. I figured that would be great. And she, she smiled and, you know, she laughed. And I prayed over her even more fervently this time, more direct. More, and we went out. She immediately took another medical downturn. And I was like, God, what, what, what? Like, this is not, this is not how this was supposed to go. So the next day, we're flying home, and um, we, get, we missed our connection in Seattle, so we had to stay in the airport all day. And so Kelly and I were eating in the Seattle airport, and we're talking. And I said, Kelly, how do you feel about the last couple of days? She goes, man, I'm really confused. And I said, yeah, me too. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. This is not how this was supposed to go at all. We get home. They had been talking about doing a, a, a CAT scan to determine the damage that was going on in her lungs. And... You guys, if you remember our Advent series, uh, the whole point of the Advent series is that Christmas is a story of a God who shows up in our mess. So Friday, they did the scan. We got the results at 12, we got the results here at 12.30 on Saturday, the next day. Services started at 1.00. The report was her lungs have 0% chance of working without the ECMO and the ventilator. And now I got to go preach to the largest crowd of the year about a God who shows up in our mess. I'm like, God, you're a jerk. Because all I feel in that moment is I feel like the little boy from a divorced home who's standing on the sidewalk with a suitcase packed, waiting for dad to show up because he said he was coming and he never shows up. Like, where are you, God? You said, you said this was going to be a big deal. Where are you? Christmas Eve service was fantastic, but we had people who complained about the fact that I didn't preach long enough. Let me just cut to the chase with that. First of all, you got way more than I wanted to give you. And secondly, in that space, with that context, I don't give two hoots about how you feel about my sermon. So what, do we, what do we do with that? Like, what does this mean for my faith in God? What does this, like, what does this mean? Like, is he, what does this mean? How long, oh Lord? How long will you let my enemies think that they've prevailed because my faith is shaken? Verse 
Psalm 13, the end of it, five and six, says this. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. How do I, what do I do when it feels like God's not there? There are some truths that I have been choosing to stand on. And I don't feel all of them completely right now. But I know them to be true. And one of the reasons why I'm in a life group is because what I know is that I have people around me who will not let me make decisions that I can't take back. This is why we're, we, one of the reasons why we should be in life groups, because we make provision when we're strong for the times when we're weak, right? Like, I, I need people in my life because you have these seasons in your life where you're like, God, the, you, I, I, I know you've been faithful, but right now I feel abandoned. And the problem, like with the book of Job, for example, like, and I'm not comparing my suffering to Job, it isn't even the same, but there's been a lot of interesting mental parallels with Job's journey and him asking God, like, God, what, what's going on? What's going on here? And, and, you know, he begins, he loses and everything and he you know, was naked I came into the world naked I'll leave blessed be the name of the Lord like he starts there but then he's he, you know his, his own wife turns her back on him um, and he's like God really like surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and so then God answers him out of a whirlwind which gives me the impression that his voice tone isn't gentle and he just out of through the next three chapters, he asked Job questions, right? Like, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? And, and, and God just gives and, and kind of reminds Job of who he is. And then at the end of it, God just gets quiet and doesn't ever answer Job's question. And the problem is we read that story and we read it with knowing the end. We know that Job got blessed, that he got more, that he got da-da-da-da-da-da. We know that, but in the moment... In that space, I feel abandoned. Like my loving, good, kind father. Like, where are you? Not just you turned mean, it just you got absent. Where are you? For our implications, uh, I want to just give you the truths that I've been standing on, that I've been trying to stand on to the best of my ability. Here's the first one. I cannot let what I don't know control or change what I do know. 
And it's the not knowing stuff that becomes such a, a dagger in your mind. Like it just like, uh, but what about, but what about, but what about, but what about? I don't know. I don't know. And I get the incredible sacred privilege of sitting with a lot of people in this really beautiful space. And they ask me these really hard questions, like where was God in this? I, I don't know. How, how is God's goodness reflected in any of this? I don't know. But I can't let what I don't know control or change what I do know. I don't know how God's goodness shows up in this. I, don't, I cannot see a scenario where God's goodness shows up. In the, I cannot see it. Even if, even if she gets out of the hospital, even if she somehow gains lung function, if, even if, how was this good? I, I don't know. but I can't let what I don't know control or change what I do know. I know my God has been so faithful to me. This, the second truth would be this. Prayer when I don't feel like praying may be an even greater act of worship. And I, I can tell you this, um, there were several days after that. In fact, I would even go so far as to say a couple of weeks where I was like, God, I don't want to talk to you. Because if, if you want me to trust you more, if you want me to step out in faith more, if you want me to risk in my faith more, this is not how you get me to do that. Here's the third truth. God's okay with our questions. This is so important. When we're sitting in this space, God's okay with our questions. And I think for a lot of us, we have a hard time being willing to ask it because it feels sacrilegious. It feels like we're we're dishonoring the Lord or we're letting go of our faith to be honest about the questions we have. And I would say this, what the Bible shows us is that God doesn't use most the people who have the best answers. He uses most the people who ask the best questions. God's okay with your questions. He's okay. And in my times with the Lord over the last several weeks, I have been direct and abrupt with God as if I have anything to say to him. And he has been... so kind. And gentle. And good. And I'm so angry.
The problem is I don't even know what I'm angry at. I just know that I'm angry and I don't know where to put it. And so he gets all of it and he just takes it. Here's the last truth. God is not safe or predictable, but he is good. We want Christianity to be, to, to be a safe, predictable place. Look, if you're gonna follow God, it's not safe. It's not. It's not predictable. But he is good. And he's gonna do things and ask you to do things that are not going to make sense like he is. It, Isaiah says, you know, God says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. It, like he's going to do things that are not the way that I would do it because he's, his thoughts aren't my thoughts. He's, he sees perspective that I don't see and I'm trying to be open-minded about it. I'm trying to have a broad perspective, but his is so much bigger and I can't get past that reality because my mind's not big enough to absorb everything that he's got in his soup that he's keeping track of. And so he does things based on realities that I don't understand or see. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, like, there's a piece of me for me personally that's like, man, I feel completely humiliated to have gone up there because I, I, you know, I told my brother, I was like, man, let me tell you what God's doing. And I don't understand any of this, but I just believe God's got something really amazing, you know, like it's confirmed scripture, blah, blah, blah. And, and my brother, my brother, and I didn't know what he was gonna, how my brother was gonna receive it. Like, I didn't even know if I was gonna be allowed in the room. I, I, he was like, he could have been just as easily said back to me, like, look, you can't even go in the room. Like, don't bother coming. Um, but he didn't. He, 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 Marco polled me back. If you don't know what that is, all the cool kids are doing it. Um, and he, he said, uh, he said, I listened to your message and, and then um, I listened to it again. And then I let my wife listen to it. He said, I'm so excited to see what God will do when you come pray. I was like, wow, God, you're preparing the way, like you're clearing the path. And guess what happened when I went and prayed? Things went from bad to worse. I felt so humiliated in front of my whole family. And I know that I've had people say this to me when I share that, no, you were obedient. Great, this is how I feel. God's not safe and he's not predictable. But he is good. And I know for some of you in this room, I know your stories. I know where you're at. And I know that some of you sit right in a space like this, different circumstances, but the same feelings of abandonment. Like, God, where are you? If you're not there today, you've probably been there. And if you haven't been there, bookmark this sermon because you will be at some point.
I, I don't know how this turns out. And I wish there was neat resolution for you, but there isn't. And this is the space where our faith gets defined. So we're going to take communion together, which we do every week, but this is a space where it becomes particularly important because now we have to wrestle with like God in light of this honesty of how I feel, does what communion means to me, does it mean anything? Or am I just going through this rote action? This moment of Jesus laying his life down on our behalf, does it mean anything? Maybe the, the question for us to wrestle with as we get our hearts ready is, where have I let my heart get hardened to the goodness of God because of circumstances around me because I feel abandoned let's talk with the Lord about that as we get our hearts ready Jesus was betrayed he took bread and he broke it he said this is my body which is given for you so whenever you eat this bread do it in remembrance of me let's remember him together the same way after the dinner he took a cup and he said this cup this is the blood of the covenant which is shed for you so whenever you drink this cup do it in remembrance of me let's pray and thank you for your gentleness in my own anger for your grace God I believe that you're working help me in my unbelief I feel a little bit like Peter saying where else would we go only you have the words of life and so God I commit myself to you I don't understand why or what or how on this but I know you do. And because of that, today I choose to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.